welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. So welcome, welcome indeed to our Catechism class. We're looking at Lord's Day 22, question 58. It's the fourth time we've been looking at Lord's Day 22, but we're moving on to a new question. We've been learning about the very last day, when the Lord Jesus will return to this earth as judge, and the dead will be raised, those who are his, of course, to everlasting life to be reunited with their souls, to be given bodies like Christ's glorified body, to be made perfect, to be ready to dwell in God's presence forever and ever. And the wicked dead also will rise, the pagan and the Christ rejecter, this time with vile bodies that are full of corruption, fit only for the lake of fire and for everlasting death. So the Catechist has been explaining the clauses of the Apostles' Creed. And so it follows that having dealt with our bodily resurrection, he will go on to explain what we mean by everlasting life. So in question 58, our teacher asks, What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? And our answer is, Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. So our subject in this lesson is heaven. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with me, Bob McAvoy. people have very different perceptions of what heaven is like. We've all seen cartoonish images of angels with wings floating around in clouds and playing harps. Or we think of it sometimes as an endless service of worship, like a church service that never ends. When I was a teenager and seeking to woo the affections of the girl who is now my wife, I used to go with her to the Christian assembly that she attended with her family. And there was a clock over the pulpit. And I was convinced that that clock was put there to remind sinners about the endless eternity that lies ahead. As the preaching continued, and it was fairly long, the hands of that clock would slowly trace each second, seemingly endless. But neither of those perceptions is anywhere near the truth. The Bible describes hell in extremely graphic terms, but heaven, far less so. We know that it is better than a garden. We know that there is a wonderful city whose streets are paved with gold. We know that the river of life is there and that there will be a wedding feast. But these are vague terms, and I believe they are deliberately vague. 
because in our tiny human minds we could never hope to grasp the reality of the wonder and the beauty of dwelling eternally in the presence of God. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Think of the very best experience of this life. Think of the time when a baby's born. You hold that little girl or little boy in your arms for the first time. Think of the wonder of a majestic view. Something that has made your heart leap within you with pleasure and happiness and and praise. And heaven will be much, much better. And then think about this, that those earthly moments of bliss or happiness are fleeting moments. Happiness lasts such a short time, but heaven is forever. And that's the wonder of heaven. And that's why we can't adequately describe it. So before we begin to take a closer look at the Catechism, let's lift our hearts together in worship to God in the words of Psalm 90, verse 2-7, and the tune is Huddersfield. Wherever thou hast formed the earth and all the world abroad, even thou from everlasting art to everlasting God.
you can find more psalms like that on www.thesamsung.org. Now let's take a little closer look at our instructor's words. When does everlasting life begin? Our catechist says, I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. I suppose the term everlasting life can be misleading. Only God is truly everlasting, as the psalmist has reminded us in the psalm that we sung, Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting you are God. There never was a time when God was not. The Bible opens with the very simple statement, In the beginning, God. He has always existed. He always will. And that's hard for us to get to grips with in our minds. After all, we're created beings. Before our conception in the womb, we do not have any form of existence. There's no such thing as reincarnation. There's no validity in the so-called therapists who regress people back to a supposed former life. We don't have everlasting life, not in the sense that God has. We're not from everlasting to everlasting. Yet Jesus promised us in that very famous verse, John 3 and 16, perhaps the most well-known verse in the Bible, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that wasn't the only occasion that we're given that promise. Zachariah Sersonus, the main author of the Heidelberg Catechism, writing in his commentary on the Catechism, explains, and I quote, The everlasting life of man is the eternal being of man regenerated and glorified, consisting in having the image of God perfectly restored in him, as when man was first created, having perfect wisdom and righteousness and happiness, being endowed with true knowledge and the love of God, with eternal joy. So for us, as the Catechist teaches, everlasting life begins and it never ends. The Catechist teaches us that that eternal life begins not just when we leave this world at death, but at a point in this very life. Matthew 13 and 12 is quoted often in this context, for whoever has, to him more will be given and he will have abundance. Eternal life, everlasting life, begins at the very moment when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit at conversion. John 3 and 3 Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Philippians 1 and verse 6, Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ursinus then speaks of two separate future consummations of the everlasting life that began at regeneration. Firstly at death, when our souls are carried away to heaven, and then later at the resurrection of the body on the last day. So everlasting life begins 
when we are saved and continues throughout eternity. But we have to ask, how do we get this eternal life? Who gives it to us? Because the Catechist describes it as perfect blessedness. He says, I shall, after this life, possess perfect blessedness. Now, it's obvious that having eternal blessedness is going to be a good thing. Many, if not most people, aspire to it eventually. I've lost count of the number of funerals I've attended where a relative of the deceased has said something like, he's at peace now, or she's out of pain, thank goodness. And sadly, on most of those occasions, these things are totally untrue. They're just simple wishful thinking. There was an old pop song from the 50s or 60s. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It could be amended nowadays to everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to repent and be saved. So how do we get this eternal blessedness? It's not something that comes to us naturally. It's not something you just simply get when you die. Eternal life is the gift of God. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. He wrote, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, and that it is his gift alone. Open your Bible and read John 5, verse 21 to 26. Here's a couple of lines from it. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. It is God's gift it cannot be earned by living a good life. It cannot be earned by being a decent person or doing decent things or charitable works or even church attendance or participation at whatever level. It is literally a gift and a gift can't be earned or merited or worked for. And eternal life is granted to us only because of Jesus. It is available to us only because Jesus has already satisfied God's perfect demand for justice, paying the price for our sins at the cross when he died for sinners. I refer you again to Ephesians 2, 8-10, a passage that we read so often, but that blesses us every time we read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And eternal life is accepted by faith. Faith itself is God's gift. We don't have it within us. We can't work it up or engender it. It comes to us through the preaching of God's word, the gospel, and through the internal regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Here's some verses. John 6 and 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 4 and 15 For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Romans 1 and 16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Romans 10 and 17. Faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. So eternal life is God's gift. Eternal life is given to us only because of Jesus. Eternal life is accepted by us through faith, which is itself God's gift. And eternal life is evidenced in this life. Knowing that we have received this gift of eternal life ought to give us assurance. Assurance that will calm our soul and comfort us right throughout this life. And when we approach the hour of our departure from this life, we will say with the hymn writer, It is well with my soul. We know that we have eternal life because we will be living by faith in God, living a humble, repentant life. Zacharias Arsonists insists that it is our duty to be certain of eternal life. And in 2 Timothy 1 and 12, Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So what have we seen so far? That eternal life begins when we are regenerated. And we've learned how we obtain this eternal life and who gives it to us. And one final question, what is the purpose of this eternal life? And we go back to the Catechism, where the Catechist teaches us that the purpose of eternal life is that we would praise God forever. Eternal life, everlasting life, is the complete fulfilment of the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, beloved by our Presbyterian friends. What is man's primary purpose? Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In heaven, we are finally being and doing what we are created for. And that total conformity with the will and purpose of God is absolute blessedness and peace and contentment and happiness forevermore. It is heaven. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.